Good morning, everyone. Good seeing you all here this morning. As has already been mentioned, if you're visiting with us, we're glad that you are here with us. Listen, if this is the first time or maybe the second or third time that you've been to the uh, congregation here and have worshiped with us, and if you have any questions about anything that you have seen or been a part of and just have some questions about, then certainly feel free to uh, talk with me about it. And if I can give you an answer, I will. And if I can't, then I'm sure I can direct you to someone who, who can. And so certainly feel free uh, to do that. We're just glad that you are here together with us uh, this, this, this morning. Before I get into the lesson, let me just remind the men about our men's retreat that begins this Friday evening. I believe it starts around about 6 o'clock, but registration can go as early as 4 o'clock. And so it begins Friday evening, and we'll dismiss in the afternoon on Saturday. So let me encourage you men, if you haven't already done so, that you would sign up in the foyer on the south wall in the foyer. There's a sign-up list there for those men who are going to be attending. If you're like a lot of guys, you kind of wait for the last moment, but I'd encourage you to try to get that filled out this morning so uh, Clint can start making plans with uh, Trinity Pines up at Cascade and, and that you'll be well-fed and well-taken care of. And so please uh, uh, be, uh, be good at doing that. So if you've been keeping up with the news at all, then you probably have noticed that a lot of the news that you're seeing really is not really new news. It's really not new information. It's just kind of the news that has been rehashed. There's the Russian-Ukraine war that continues on. Gas prices continue to go up. Inflation continues to rise. And so there's no surprise in any of those major events or in those things. You might have noticed also that COVID has kind of fallen off on the back page, though it's really is a serious pandemic that is still going on there. But a lot of the news that we are hearing today really is not old uh, new news. It's old news, rehashed uh, news. And it's because of this bad news that we oftentimes get that just seems to be, we just seem to be... Uh, Unindated with it. I mean, it just seems to keep coming at us. I thought, well, maybe we need to talk some about the good news. And so I began sharing with you a series of lessons on the good news itself. And we began by looking at Matthew, the fourth chapter, in verse 23, where it says that Jesus came from the region of Galilee and he came proclaiming or hailing or preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. And so there's good news in the kingdom of God. It's going to be an incredible kingdom. And as we looked at that, we talked about this word euangelion, which is the word for good tidings, and that the good news of the kingdom is that the kingdom would be a radical, it would radically change our world. It would change the way we look at each other socially. It will change the way we look at one another economically. It will change the way we look at the world politically. It was a completely radical view of the world, almost an upside-down way of thinking that was to come. And Jesus came to usher in that kind of a kingdom that would have a different kind of moral code or value system, but, but a, a, a system that would bring good news into our lives and make our lives really an abundant life. I followed that lesson up with talking about the gospel benefits, and I did that because oftentimes when you think about jobs, you think about what are the benefits of taking on this certain uh, career? Well, it's the same thing when you talk about the gospel. What are the benefits? What am I going to get if I decide to enter into this kingdom and accept this good news that Jesus is proclaiming to me? Well, David, back in Psalm 103, and, uh, 103 he said, uh, let's be careful that we don't tend to forget the benefits that God has poured out upon us. Because it seems that it's almost our nature that we just kind of take the benefits for granted and we forget the one who has been given them to us. And so I share with you five uh, benefits. If you are wondering what those are, you can archive them in the lesson from about three weeks ago. And then after that, I took a vacation. 
And while I was gone, Clint, you know, he shared with us a lesson called Made for Mission. And in Made for Mission, he was talking about the fact that the kingdom has come and that we are citizens of that kingdom and that more than that, we're disciples. And as disciples, we are made for mission. We weren't made just to come and huddle together on a Sunday morning and spend an hour or so worshiping together with one another. We're here, and that's a good thing because we've been commanded to worship God, but we also have a mission that goes beyond these four walls to the world that is around us, and so we truly are made for mission. And then I backed his way up again last week, and I talked about the beginning of the gospel, and we looked at Mark, the first chapter, in verses 9 through 15, where Jesus began the, the mission, that Jesus begins his gospel, and the gospel begins in Nazareth as he is raised to adulthood for almost almost 30 years and then he begins his mission as he goes to John in the wilderness to the Jordan and is baptized by John in order to identify with the nation and with the revival that is going on there and then to go into the wilderness and to uh, deal with temptation which tells us that if he can overcome temptation then we have some ability to overcome temptation ourselves and if we're not able to do so well, there is a way back to the throne of God through repentance and con confession. And then, of course, after the wilderness, Jesus begins properly his mission. And that it was to proclaim the kingdom of God that he has come to usher in. And the good news, and the good news would involve the cross of Jesus Christ and him dying on it for your sins and for my sins. So that kind of take, brings us up to where we are this morning. This morning, what I want us to do is I want us to back up in the Gospel of Mark, the first chapter once again, and I want us to spend some time looking at verses 1 through 6. Because in verses 1 through 6, what, John, what um, Mark does is he, uh, he reminds us of the good news. And he tells us that there is good news for those who are in the wilderness. And so that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to talk about the one who came into the wilderness. We're going to talk about what the wilderness was about. And we're going to talk about those who are in the wilderness itself. But before we get there, let me just share with some, you things, some things about the gospel of Mark that I think is you know, necessary for you to know. When you think about the gospel narratives, each of those gospel narratives, whether you're talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, each of the authors has a target audience. They have certain ones that they are trying to speak to. Now, they're applicable, obviously, to us today. But take Matthew, for instance. Matthew is a, is a gospel that was written primarily to the Jewish mindset. He's trying to prove to him that Jesus is more than just a man, that he is the son of man and the son of God, and that he is the Messiah that they have been looking for. Luke has as its target audience the Gentiles, probably people much like you and me who are looking for various kinds of facts, various kinds of nuances about the good news concerning Jesus Christ. John is not a part of the synopsis, but it's a gospel that kind of stands on its own, but its target audience is almost anyone, and the whole idea of John is, is to bring us to the point of believing that Jesus Christ is more than just a man, and he does so by sharing with us seven signs uh, that prove that Jesus is God. So the idea of John is, is to bring us to the point of belief. That brings us to Mark. Mark is unique in itself in that most say that it was written to the mindset of a Roman mind. If you think about the Romans, the Romans were extremely aggressive. They were very, uh, they, they were very to the point of facts about things. They moved very quickly. And so Mark in his gospel 
Uh, he is very pointed. Some would say that he is almost abrupt, if you will, because he is very action-oriented. He goes from almost like from one miracle to the next miracle, to the next miracle, and to the next miracle, proving that Jesus Christ truly is the one who is the king and that he has brought some good news with him. What's interesting about Mark is Mark is the shortest of all the gospel accounts. It's the shortest account of the life of Jesus among the, the four gospels. Uh, but it, it probably has a lot of super good things that are very impactful. Some have said that it is abrupt in, in tone. And so when you think about it being a third shorter than all the others, if you take Matthew, who has 28 chapters, and Luke, who has 24 chapters, and John has 21 chapters, Mark only has 16 chapters. And so he almost says everything that Matthew and Luke says, only does it in a very condensed kind of manner, so it is abrupt. It's not a book that flourishes or uses a lot of fancy phrases or anything like that. It's spare, it's direct, it's to the point. It doesn't fill in the blanks for you. You have to do some digging. I would say to you that Matthew and Luke fill in a lot of those blanks that are, are there. And so when you're reading through the Gospel of Mark, you can't afford to just kind of sort, uh, of just graze, uh, skipping to the well, you know, skipping all the well-known facts to get down to what I would call the juicier parts or the more interesting stuff. Each of those things in there are very direct and to the point and are significant. And so if you're a person that is not careful, you can end up reading the, the Gospel of Mark or just the Bible itself like you would uh, a newspaper or some kind of, of uh, online outlet or news outlet like CNN or MSN or, or NPR or Fox or one of those. You can find yourself going down through this thing just looking for clickbait. That's how they do in news. You get into a news outlet and you begin to go down to the various articles that are there and you're looking for a title that just speaks to you. And if it's clickbaity enough, you will stop and you'll read down through the article. And if not, you just pass by the clickbait and you just go down until you find something that strikes your interest, something that you think is juicy, and then you'll stop and you'll read it. Well, it's easy to fall into the same trap with reading your Bible that way. If you've been a Christian very long, you've read your Bible numerous times, and so you can end up finding yourself just skimming down through it, and then skimming down through it, you're going to miss a lot of the really incredible good information that is there. So reading Mark means that you have to slow down. It means that you have to be more deliberate in your examination of what he is, he is writing. If there's a detail, there's a detail there for a purpose. There is a significance to that detail. If there is an event recorded, it matters. If there is a name that is there, he just doesn't drop names. That name has a significant meaning or is trying to say something very significant to you. And if he quotes a, a old passage, a, a Hebrew writing, you know, an Old Testament passage, well, he's quoting it because there is significance to it. It's like a blinking neon sign that says, listen, you better stop. This is important stuff. You need to read here. You need to know this. That's what the Gospel of Mark is about. And that's called all of an introduction to the very first six verses of Mark chapter 1. So open your Bibles if you haven't already. And let's just read what he says here in this section. Because in these six verses, what he does is there are a number of important news items that he's going to share with us. Listen to what he says. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. 
The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching, saying that after me comes one who is mightier than I, and I'm not even fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So like I said, there are a number of news items that are here that when you read down through it at a fast glance like that, you might miss it. So news item number one is he says, I've come to tell you about the good news of Jesus, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So what is he conveying? What he's conveying is that he's about to talk about someone important, the most important story, the most important person I'd ever walked on the planet that's who I'm going to talk to you about. I'm declaring to you the good news, the glad tidings of the victory of God and his Messiah. And his name is Jesus. So it's not just nebulous. He's going to be very pointed about who this Messiah is, what this good news is about, and it's about Jesus Christ. So he's saying you need to pay close attention because the stuff that I'm getting ready to say to you or the things I'm getting ready to write to you are really, really important things concerning Jesus Christ and the good news. If you hope to understand it, you better listen to what I have to say. That brings you to the second major news item found in verse 2 and 3. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So what he's saying is that the Messiah, the king, he is coming. The way is being prepared for him. And, and what's interesting here is that as he begins that section there, he says, as Isaiah the prophet said this, and then he goes on, and the very first verse that you see there is not from Isaiah. But it's actually from Malachi, the third chapter, and verse 1. So why would he say that this is what Isaiah the prophet say, and then begin by talking about what Malachi the prophet says? And the reason is, is because Malachi is going to validate, if you will, what Isaiah said hundreds of years before Malachi comes about. So here he is, and he is talking about the Messiah. Look at Isaiah, if you will, chapter 40, if you... 40 verses 1 through 5. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1 through 5. <clears throat> he says, Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that the warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received from the, uh, of the Lord's hand double for all their sins. Now listen to verse 3. A voice is calling. Clear the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up. Every mountain and hill be made low. Let the rough ground become plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. But the key that you want to see here as you go back to Mark is that there is a way that's being prepared be a voice crying in a wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, making his paths straight. And so the voice of one crying in the wilderness 
prepare the way of the Lord, make it a straight kind of way. Notice that the, the message or the good news is proclaimed in the wilderness. So if you're one who likes to mark up your Bible, you need to probably under, underline the word wilderness here because the idea of wilderness has more to it than just what first meets the eye when you see that there's one crying in the wilderness because when John comes along, as we're going to later see, when this prophet comes along who is to make this way straight, he's not just walking through a wilderness. He is not proclaiming or heralding to the, the rocks or the hills or the valleys or the mountains. He's not just going through talking to empty space. There's someone in the wilderness that are going to be listening to this way. So the way of the wilderness is one, of, one moving through the wilderness. He's bearing a message to those who live in the rough country. That's what he's, he's doing here. And so he's getting ready to say something that is very powerful, something that is exciting, something that is uh, amazing about the, the content of the good news concerning Jesus Christ that the herald is saying that you don't want to miss. And so we find ourselves in this wilderness, if you will. So the prophet is, is looking ahead, okay? He's looking ahead to a Messiah that is coming. And that, you know, there's going to be one that's going to come before the Messiah that is going to prepare that way. And it's going to begin in the wilderness. So what he's doing, if you will, is Mark is tying verses 2 through 6 back to verse 1. Or he's tying Isaiah 40 and verses 1 through 5 back to verse 1. He's tying Malachi 3 and verse 1 back to verse 1. Of Mark's gospel. He's wanting you to know that they spoke hundreds of years before this is going to happen, that there's one who's going to come and he's going to be proclaiming to the wilderness the good news of the Messiah coming and so on. So what is this, this analogy of preparing the way of the Lord in, in, in a wilderness? Well, if you were to go back to antiquity or to ancient times, then whenever a king or an emperor <clears throat> got ready to go to a destination, he had sent forth before him workers, an entourage of people, and they would go before him because of his dignity, because of his honor and his respect that he has. They're going to go before him, and they're going to uh, clear the way. They didn't have, you know, I-95s and I-80s and all that. They didn't have great roads back then. <clears throat> so they were to go, and they were to prepare the way or the road itself. So they're going to remove all the obstacles. They're going to remove the rocks. They're going to remove bushes. They are going to take high places and make them flat, low places, and they're going to build them up. They're going to make the travel of this king or this emperor one that is due to his dignity or who he is. And so what Mark is saying is that there's one who's coming to prepare the way. <clears throat> he's going to take that way, and he's going to flatten things out. He's going to remove any obstacles that are there in order for that king to come. And it's going to come by way of the wilderness itself. So what Mark is doing is he's identifying several things to us here. Number one, he's going to identify to us what is this wilderness that we're talking about here. Number two, he's going to tell us that there is one who is coming that's going to prepare the way of the third one, and that's the Messiah. So when you think about the wilderness, okay, so let's go and talk about the wilderness when you talk about the wilderness, the wilderness didn't necessarily mean uh, a desert. 
It's not referring to a desert, but to those large, you know, unpopulated or isolated uh, tracts of land that were undeveloped. They were sparsely uh, populated, but nevertheless, they were populated. So the wilderness was, was wild. I mean, it's a wild place. And, and the significance of that wild place is that he's talking about land that's uncultivated land. So it's a place for, to, to graze cattle or to graze sheep. It's wild in the sense that it's far from just, you know, the centers of life. It's away from the villages. It's away from the towns. It's away from the large cities. It's out there away from those things. It's wild in the sense that it is remote. It's remote in terms of law and order. In civilized ways, it's different than what people were accustomed to. But the wilderness wasn't empty, okay? It wasn't empty, an empty space. It was not an unoccupied region. It was a populated place, and it was populated by those who had no other place. And they chose to live in the wilderness. But it wasn't unpopulated. And it wasn't uninhabited. So when John comes and he is preaching in the wilderness, because it goes on and says that they were leaving Jerusalem and in other cities and they're going out to where John was. Where was John? John was in the wilderness proclaiming the good news of the Messiah and preaching the kingdom of God being at hand. Who were these people? Who were the, physically, the people who physically populated that, that land? Well, those who were diseased were oftentimes run out or cast out. If you had leprosy, you weren't welcomed in the city. You weren't welcomed in a village. If you had some kind of malady that made you, you know, ceremonial unclean, people didn't want you around there, so they oftentimes drove such people away from them. The disaffected who, who, were, who dropped out, I'm talking about those who lived on the margins or the marginal people in a community, they lived out in the wilderness. Debtors, Debtors who owed money, oftentimes, rather than pay their debt, or maybe the inability to pay their debt, did not want it to go into bondage or sell themselves into servanthood, would go out into the wilderness. Criminals, obviously, they hid out in the wilderness. They hid out there because, you know, they had broke the law, and the law was after them, and so they lived in the wilderness. The unfaithful, who could not live according to the law, who had given up on trying to maintain this because of maybe the, just the, the loads that the Pharisees and the scribes laid upon them. They couldn't do it. So they said, rather than just be constantly have this on our conscience or on our minds, they just moved out away from it. So the wilderness became a refuge for the persecuted. It became a haven for the prophets. Many of the prophets had schools of prophets out in the wilderness, a sanctuary for dissidents and many more things like that. So it was a, a dwelling place of sheep and, and, and scorpions, the habitat of lizards and, and lions. It was a lodging of, of shepherds and, and rebels, the home of busy, uh, banished men of, of learning, uh, smart guys. And it was a dangerous place with men of violence. I'm talking about a wilderness that people lived in. Okay, I'm talking about revolutionaries. I'm talking about tax evaders. I'm talking about sheiks and robbers and those who uh, were too poor to live anywhere else. A holy men, exiles, the most sordid of sinners, that was in the wilderness. People lived in the wilderness. So when John proclaim, came proclaiming the good news, preparing the way of, uh, 
of the Messiah in the wilderness. He wasn't out in just a desert place where no one was there yelling at the hills or the mountains. He had an audience that was listening to him as well. But the wilderness is more than just the physical part of life. Figuratively speaking, the wilderness represented the spiritual places that people found themselves in. And so I'm talking about the outcasts of society, the off-scouring of society, the dregs of society where, as a society, you can get pretty hard on people because of their lifestyles or because of their upbringing or because of where they have come from. And so there are those, spiritually speaking, who feel like outcasts, who feel like they don't belong anywhere. I'm talking about people who have immersed themselves into sin and feel as though there's no hope for them. They're so out there, away from things, that they feel isolated from the rest of the world. Even though they lived in a world that's populated with over 7 billion people, they still feel that way because of their lifestyle. I'm not talking about them living physically in a wilderness. I'm talking about them living in a wilderness of their soul, a wilderness that's in their heart a wilderness that's in their, in their spirit. They're downcast. They're weary. They're trying to uh, keep the law, but they miserably fail. I'm talking about people like Zacchaeus and Matthew who were tax gatherers. No one wanted those people. No one loved those people. Maybe even their own families had doubts about them, but society didn't want them. And so they were outcasts, even though they lived among a people. Or how about Mark, who writes this gospel? Mark was a young man who went on a missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas. And somewhere between what they were doing in that, in that missionary journey, he abandons them. He deserts them and leaves. And later he comes back, but he was a young man who needed a second chance to do some great things, and he does so great of things that he becomes the first writer of the first gospel called, called Mark. I'm talking about the woman who was caught in adultery. In those days, they buried such people in rocks. What was she to do? Jesus said, where are those who have ought against you? Where are, those that are, where are they? And they've all gone. Well, you need to go on and sin no more. He gave her a second chance in in life i mean you can go through person after person after person in the new testament who came to jesus for good news it may have been a physical ailment that they're struggling with but it might have been something inner inside of them like mary who felt that way who felt as though she had no hope in the end and jesus gives her hope or the woman at the well of samaria she's all there by herself where are all the other women well it's because of her lifestyle but Jesus said that there's a second chance for you. And so I'm talking about people who find themselves in a wilderness, not just physically speaking, but spiritually speaking. And, and, and John was speaking to those people. And that's the third major news item. Here comes John. And John came preparing the way of the kingdom of God and the coming of the Messiah. And that's what it says there in Mark, Mark chapter 1, verses 4 through 7. But I want you to see what, how John puts it, okay? If you open your Bible to the Gospel of John, the very first uh, chapter, <clears throat> and, and Russ read this to us, okay? And, 
And he said it's his favorite part because it talks about the beginning of Jesus, okay? But I, was, I hadn't read it because I wanted him to get down to verse 6. Because in verse 6 it says, There came a man sent from God whose name was John. And then look at verse 19. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? Remember, John's out in the wilderness. So they send these guys out there to find out who this guy is. And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, no, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Then they said to him, well, who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do they say about your, what do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as Isaiah the prophet said. So John is the preparer of the way. He's getting people ready for the good news concerning Jesus Christ. And guess what? As he talked about the coming of the Messiah, as he talked about the coming king, as he talked about those things and this kingdom that is hand, the people heard. They all heard. They heard what John was saying. That doesn't mean they all responded in the same way. But they heard what he was saying, the, the recluses, the untouchables, the, the, the pariahs. They all heard it. The woman who had a hemorrhage of blood, she heard the good news about Jesus Christ. So much that her faith would cause her to just touch the hem of her garment with faith that even that could save her or heal her of her malady. I'm saying that it's that kind of people, the scholars studying their, their, their splendid, in their splendid isolation, they heard the good news about Jesus Christ. The bandits hiding in their rocky strongholds, they, they, they heard it. The merchants traveling in their well-armed caravans, they heard the downcast, the broken, the weary, the heavy laden. They all heard. They heard good news what's on, is on the way. All of them heard it. The cry that called all those in the wilderness that the Messiah uh, and his kingdom is coming. They all heard. And that's good news. Because the same news that came out to them is the same news that comes out to us in our wilderness, wherever we might be. And so John came along to remove all the obstacles out of the way, to remove your excuses, to take it away. So the question would, I guess, if we were to apply it to us, is, is what does our wilderness look like? And what are the obstacles that are in the way of us accepting this Messiah, the, the King? What it would be in the way of that? Because Jesus Christ would come to their wilderness just as he comes to our wilderness with good news. Those who are downcast, those who are just weary of trying to live life, those who were rejected, they're invited to the kingdom. Those struggling in the quagmire of their sin, no matter what you have done, you're invited to the kingdom. The kingdom of social, economic, and political justice and fairness, a, a kingdom with benefits and a fresh start, that's what people are invited to. And so out of their caves and crags of the rocks, they came. Out of their huts, their tents, their lean-tos, 
from mountain and cliff and desert and valley, from wadi and, and gully, from tell and oasis, from the wild places they, they came, out of the villages and out of the towns and out of the great cities, they all came to hear the good news that John brought to uh, them. All of them. All of them heard the call. And as many as came, they found for themselves a kingdom where they came shoulder to shoulder and they were surprised with the people that gathered together. Don't you find it amazing when you look across this audience this morning or almost any Sunday morning or Wednesday evening or Sunday evening, when you look across the audience, when you look at the people there, aren't you amazed where all the people come from? How we're, you know, we all have two eyes and a nose and, and a mouth, but we all look different. And we all come from different backgrounds. Some of us come from some, you know, pretty rough backgrounds. Some have been raised in the church and have just kind of meandered their way through it. Some have been extremely co committed. Uh, in our congregation, we don't have so many different colors here, but a lot of congregations, you have lots of different ethnicities and lots of different races. But they come together and they seem to work out to Together, we come from different educational backgrounds and social backgrounds, but it all seems to work. And that's what you see in the kingdom of, of God. Out of the great noise of broken humanity was forged a great and mighty kingdom that can never be destroyed. And that it surpasses all other kingdoms. Kingdoms come and, and kingdoms go but this kingdom will last for an eternity. And the good news is, is that it promises us the abundant life and the forgiveness of our, our sins. And it promises us eternal life in, in the end. And that's what the gospel is about. I mean, obviously, the gospel of Jesus Christ is about him coming and dying on the cross so that you could be delivered from the bondage of your sins that you could be cleansed, that you could have eternal life. Obviously, that's the center of what the gospel is, is about. It's, it's good news. It's good news that a great king is calling people from their ruin, as he calls us today. I mean, think about who you are. Think about what you are. Think about your past. Think about your present. Think about what's out in the future for you as a human being. How are you going to live your life today? And how are you going to live your life tomorrow? And what's life going to be like in the far, far future? Never mind about the past, because the past is the past. There's nothing you can do about that. That's the wilderness. It's time to maybe to come out of that wilderness. Notice that when Jesus came, he didn't call the noble he didn't call the great. He didn't call the rich. He called people like, like you. And people like, like me. Listen to what, how Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 and following. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world, the base things of the world, and the despised. God has chosen the things that are not 
that he might nullify the things that are, that no man should boast before God. What is he saying? He's saying, God chose you. You weren't mighty. You weren't noble. He's not getting anything out of this. But he's done so so you can see the great glory of God that is, is shown through his son, Jesus Christ, as he came into our world. So the message to you this morning is the one that John had those many years ago in that wilderness. He's calling people. And they're responding. So you're called. You're invited to be a part of the kingdom. The only question is, is will you come? Will you come to the kingdom? Will you come to Jesus Christ? As we began the series on the gospel, uh, the gospel proclamation is incredible. The process of the gospel and the kingdom begins with your response to the message itself. The process is that of repentance and being baptized or immersed into Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins where you are saved. Sins are removed. You become a child of God. You're added to the church and you become a citizen of the kingdom. And because you're a citizen of the kingdom, that means that you live in a kingdom that's radically different from the world that is around us. And so we have to, I guess, decide who, you know, what value system are we going to live according to? What kingdom are we going to live? What king are we going to be loyal to? And in that decision, it causes us to make a move and calls us to action. And so this morning, I don't know what your wilderness is. I don't know where you are. Here's what I do know. I know you're all someplace. And that maybe you need to respond this morning. If not in your, the seat where you are, then also you could come forward and whatever way we can assist you, whether it's prayers that you need or whether we can assist you into the kingdom, whatever your need is, once you come on together, we stand and while we sing and give you opportunity. There's a 